Hi there, and welcome back to the Live Moss Podcast. I have an amazing episode for you guys today, and I think you're really going to love it. We have Kathy Solensic, the Associate Director of Enforcement and the Academic Integrity Unit for the NCAA with us today. We're going to go through everything about the Academic Integrity Unit, why it was developed, and what its purpose is, as well as what kind of resources the NCAA has for the prevention of academic misconduct on campus. And just as importantly, we're really going to focus on the trends that the NCAA is seeing in academic misconduct violations across the country. I really think you're going to like this episode. It's a great education opportunity for all of us in this business or in just higher education alone. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, Live Moss. Welcome back to the Live Moss podcast. Like I said, I can't, I cannot tell you how excited I am for today's uh, podcast and just the, the time uh, that it takes to get somebody like Kathy with us. Uh, it's exceptional. Uh, we are blessed to have you on with us today, Kathy. But if you could, could you please give us uh, just a quick overview of who you are and, and, you know, kind of what you do? Absolutely, Wes. And, and I'd like to thank you and all the folks at N4A. It's, it's our absolute pleasure anytime we can engage with the N4A and the membership. So we appreciate the opportunity. So just by way of background, um, my name is Kathy Selenik. I work for the NCA enforcement staff, and I am the chair and founder of a group called the Academic Integrity Unit. And I think we'll probably talk a little bit about what that is in a minute. But I've been with the NCA for eight years now. It'll be nine in October. And uh, my primary responsibilities involve dealing with any type of academic issue a school might have. So any kind of progress towards degree violations. And specifically, we spend a lot of time uh, helping our schools work through academic misconduct. So that's sort of the 10,000-foot view of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Now, Kathy, we're going to slow down and rewind the clock a little bit because I'd love to hear more about your background in athletic academic advising. Absolutely. So we're going to get in the Wayback Machine. Uh, I'm going to show my age here in a minute, but I first started in athletic academic advising in 1996, and I actually uh, started pretty low down in the org chart, so to speak. Um, When I started, I was actually a graduate student at the University of Nebraska, and I was just kind of on campus, and I thought, you know, I'm broke. I don't got any money. I need a job. And I saw an advertisement, a flyer, for a place called the Hewitt Center at the University of Nebraska, and that they needed tutors. And they needed tutors in these various subjects. And I looked down the list, and at the time, I was a history major, history graduate student, and lo and behold, history was on the list. So I thought, great. This is great. I'll make some extra cash. I won't have to eat ramen all day. And I called and asked, how do I apply? And I applied, and I was a little confused when the woman I talked to said, well, your interview is going to be at 300 West Stadium. And I thought to myself, well, why would the tutoring center for the university be in the football stadium? Because the whole entire time I was operating under the assumption that this was the institution's central tutoring center, not athletics. It wasn't by the time I left the interview that I understood that this was actually the work in athletics. So my start in college athletics and athletic academic advising was very accidental in a great way. It's one of those old sayings that you never know when your life's going to change. And 
just by taking a risk that day, my life did change. And I remember no one called me and I wasn't getting any business and I was really anxious to help tutoring. And I just totally badgered the tutor coordinator at Nebraska to get a shot, um, just to tutor someone. And so I ultimately did get that opportunity. And so I just kind of steadily moved up um, the food chain, as it were, was a tutor. I did some supplemental instruction. I ended up being an assistant academic counselor for Nebraska, and I left Nebraska in 2000, um, and I actually went to the University of Colorado, where I worked with uh, football, women's basketball, and men's and women's ski. Also did a little bit of initial eligibility, so transcript reads for football. We were doing a lot of transcript reads at that time, initial eligibility-wise. And a little bit of um, continuing eligibility. I think everyone in the business um, does that in some way, shape, or form. You might not have your hands on the transcript, and you might not be the final say, but part and parcel of being an athletic academic advisor is you have to track those things. And so got really good experience with that starting at Nebraska and continuing during my time at Colorado. And then for some odd reason, I'm not really sure, I got the harebrained idea that I would go to law school. So I went to law school in 2006, uh, graduated in 2009. And it was one of those um, circumstances, again, where, you know, you've been living as a poor student forever. And um, I had the good fortune that a lot of high-profile Law firms were interested in having me work for them, so I got an offer from a big law firm, and I took it and realized very quickly that my life was in college athletics, not practicing the law. And fortunately for me, the folks at the law firm were great to work with, and they said, yeah, you belong in college athletics. So in 2010, I applied to the job that I currently have in um, enforcement. It looked a little different at the time. We didn't have this athletic academic integrity unit, or excuse me, academic integrity unit. We didn't have that at the time. I was just a, a your run-of-the-mill uh, investigator. But over time, we managed to develop that because Frankly, that's um, what I know best. That's where my heart is. I know that the people who work in athletic academic advising have such a hard job and do such great things. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but we here in enforcement wanted to support them because our um, philosophy is, is that preventing violations in the academic area is the most important thing that we can do. And fortunately, our vice president, uh, John Duncan, here at the enforcement staff was 1,000% in favor of that. And so that's kind of how I got to where I am. But my roots, uh, my background are in athletic academic advising. People around the office call me the academic lady still. Um, I interview student athletes as part of an investigation. They still refer to me as Miss Kathy. So it's nice to have that tie to um, that type of work. And we started this podcast with the membership, but specifically some of our younger members. And we hear all the time about how can I get, uh, how, you know, how do I move up in this field? How do I make an impact? How do I, uh, you know, transverse this whole process? And I think to the young members who might be listening to this podcast today, even people outside the membership may be looking to get in, 
there is no one path. And I think Kathy's uh, spectrum of how she got involved with, you know, with higher education and MBA and, and student athletes is a great way, a great you know, track for this can come in any different way. And it's just, are you willing to take the time to reach out to that student coordinator to, uh, to invest in your time and to see where it goes? And, and I just love that story. I didn't know that story. And it's just, it's, it's encouraging because everybody goes about this in a different way. But Kathy, I heard a rumor. I heard that you're a member of N4A yourself. You know, I sure am. I have been since the year of the flood. Uh, again, I'm dating myself for getting in the Wayback Machine. But I, I think, if I remember correctly, my first year in N4A, someone will have to check the database, might have been 1998, after I sort of did my couple years learning the field and tutoring and doing supplemental instruction and supervising study hall and all those things that people have to do. I think that that was my first year. And I do remember when I was at Nebraska, we had hosted the regional meeting for N4A. And part of my job there was to sort of help coordinate all of that and, and to help um, the athletic department and athletic academic advising coordinate that. So it's been it's been a while. I've seen, I remember when Miles Brand came to talk to N4A. Um, I remember people being fired up with Miles Brand because that was the first year of 406080 after we moved away from 2550-75. So again, this is ancient history for a lot of people, I'm sure, listening to the podcast, but I, I certainly remember those days. Okay. And thank you so much here, sir. But I, I, I had to laugh there because I remember that transition and how it just it put everybody in an uproar. Uh, but to focus on uh, your current role in the NCAA and, and how things are going now, uh, could you share with the membership a little bit about your job responsibilities now? Absolutely. So I sort of have two jobs, uh, or at least 1.5 jobs, I, I guess is how I would describe it. So my primary day-to-day -day role is serving as an investigator in the enforcement staff. Um, and, and what that looks like is we deal with cases that are in Division One. they're called Level 1 or Level 2, and in Division 2 and 3, they're called Major. And so those are things that don't trigger level three or secondary violations. And for those of you who, that's a little bit of a technicality, so I'll try to explain a little bit more, but a level three are essentially speeding tickets. These are things, accidents happen. When I was on campus, I committed level three violations. Hopefully not too many, but I know a couple could be attributed to me. And those are things that Schools, despite their best efforts, they make a mistake uh, and they report those to us. And that's a healthy thing for schools to do. But sometimes something goes sideways. It can be either unintentional or intentional. And when they go sideways and it gets to be big or the type of violation is particularly severe, then that falls into our camp in a group called Investigations and Processing. And so what we do is we work collaboratively with the school to just kind of try to figure out what happens. And once we figure out what happened, what we do is we try to work with the school to process those violations. The vast majority of those types of cases are self-reported by the institution. 
we're not hiding in bushes or following people or making surprise visits to schools and saying, hey, can we open your file drawer and see what's in it? That's not what we do. But um, a lot of times schools realize, gee, you know, we have a problem here and we need some help through it. So that's what I spend most of my time doing. But on the other side, we have this group called the Academic Integrity Unit, and it's a group of 11 people from all backgrounds, uh, people who have been on campus, people who are specialists with data, people who are specialists with research, and their primary and our primary job is to be subject matter experts in the academic area. And in the past, and I think that this is fair to say, enforcement didn't have a real focus on academics. Spent a lot of time with all of those violations we hear about in the media, recruiting and agent issues. Enforcement in the past spent a lot of time on those. But one of the things that we started to understand was Academics is really, really, really important. Bylaw 14 is a pretty long bylaw, and our member schools spend a lot of time working through those issues. And so we need to have a group of people that can help support the folks that do that. And to help support the folks that do that, but also to help schools when things go sideways. So this group does two things. Again, they're the subject matter experts. So if something does go wrong, either with progress towards degree or academic misconduct, we can help a school work through that. But most importantly, we exist to help educate schools and help schools prevent violations and in particular prevent academic misconduct before it happens. We have a lot of materials and we spend a lot of time visiting with folks. I know we sent someone from our group to every region last year for every regional meeting to talk about academic misconduct. We've been at the N4A um, National Convention for several years. We're going to be back again in 19. And so we would really encourage anyone in the membership, anyone part of M4A to give us a shout if you have questions, if there are things you wonder about, to always reach out to us because we're here to help. I think that's such a great message for the membership to hear that you guys are willing to, to work with them and to educate them uh, and even to even come on the podcast and just pull the curtain back a little bit and, and give everybody an idea of what it is that you guys do and, and more of your your job responsibilities. Uh, I'm curious because you know we know the academic world so well, you know, especially the people that are listening to this podcast and what our day to day is like. Uh, what are some of the more difficult difficult aspects of your role? So what I do is I spend a lot of time dealing with academic misconduct issues, and kind of what we see is what's interesting in in our world and the enforcement world is that what happens and the violations that are most common or or seem to be most prevalent change over time. So we spend a lot of time tracking to see what changes are occurring. A little bit of that has to do with the fact that if we have some bad people, frankly, that want to commit violations or did a leg up on someone, they realize, uh-oh, the NCA is on to us. We had to change course. Sometimes it's just the nature of education and violations used to happen in this area, but because our member schools and people at N4A do such a good job preventing those violations, they might shift to a different area. 
So we spend a lot of time on that. So in my day-to-day, I spend time thinking, you know, what's going to happen, what type of trends that we're seeing. We spend a lot of time advising the membership, um, trying to help them determine how big is the problem. Is it a little problem? Is it a big problem? Um, And then at the end of the day, another part of my job is to see the violations through completion. And so, again, that can be processed via what we call level three or secondary in divisions two and three, which the school fills out a form. Again, it's kind of a speeding ticket. Someone in our office will process it and basically say, hey, thanks for letting us know. Don't do it again. Or it can be more serious. And when it's more serious, there are different ways to process those violations. It can be collaborative with the institution through something called a summary disposition. It can be through a hearing if the institution and the enforcement staff don't agree. It can be a couple of other ways that are a little bit technical, but about two-thirds of our cases are all processed collaboratively with the school through summary disposition. Summary disposition is when the school and enforcement, we write a, we write a document together saying, hey, here's what happened, and then the school will say, here's what we think the penalty should be, and then we send that to the Committee on Infractions. Obviously, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but that sort of gets at the heart of what happens when things go, again, like I said, sideways, and we need to process a major violation. You know, I can only imagine that your day-to-day must be pretty intense. Uh, what are the, the more enjoyable aspects of your role with the NBAA? You know, the best thing that I get to do is hang out with membership, frankly. Um, I'm... I got my start with membership, and I love it when I can come to campus for a friendly visit. There's no issues. There's no problems. Um, But I get to come to campus and maybe give a talk to a group of people or do some rules education. absolutely love that. Um, I always love meeting student-athletes. They are some of the coolest people ever. Uh, They can be... They can give us gray hair, too. I have plenty of gray hairs I can can, can attribute to some specific student-athletes. Um, but I really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy my interaction with the membership, even if it's a difficult issue. What I enjoy is helping folks feel as good as they can about a tough situation. So I hope that I can provide uh, our member schools and the folks at N4A some um, at least a little bit of comfort uh, when they're going through uh, something that can be really difficult. Well, I do know that in, in doing a little bit of research on this podcast and reaching out to some of our memberships, they, I, I get a feeling like they're going to be greatly excited to learn more about the Academic Integrity Unit. Can you tell us a little bit more about why it was developed and, and what its purpose might be? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, we had we didn't really have a focus concerning academics here in enforcement. And and the primary goal of the Academic Integrity Unit is to develop educational materials to help prevent and detect academic misconduct. And one of the things, and this is kudos to our membership, that what we see is, is if, God forbid, academic misconduct happens on a campus, our schools catch it really, really quickly. And it's often athletic academic advisors who are the heroes at all of this, who are the ones that find it. And so the primary focus is to help our schools have a process, 
have some education, have a resource for preventing and detecting academic misconduct, regardless of what it looks like. And then also, too, we do a little bit of rules education. That's primarily our friends in AMA who do that. So most of our education is focused, again, on what do you do? What do you do if you think a student athlete has committed academic misconduct? How does it work? Who do I call? What can we do to help? So that's its primary focus. And again, we kind of crisscross the country to update um, schools on that. The second thing that we do is we keep data on academic misconduct. Uh, academic misconduct is our second most violated bylaw here in enforcement. I'm sure it'll come as no shock to everyone on this call that our most violated bylaw are the recruiting bylaws, bylaw 13. Second most is academic misconduct. And our vice president feels very, very, very strongly that, that academic misconduct is a uh, violation that we need to try to prevent, if at all possible, because it's harmful to the school, it's harmful to the student-athlete, it's harmful to the team. And so uh, we have a ton of resources online uh, that folks can get, and, and as always, we're available to talk to anyone should they have questions or things they wonder about in that area. We, we try to do a good job with this podcast of giving the membership something tangible that they can take away with them. And I think this is a great opportunity for those that are listening. Uh, Kathy, what are the kind of resources that the NCAA might have for the prevention of academic misconduct on campuses? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a website, and here it is. It's www.ncaa.org backslash academic integrity. So we would encourage all of our folks to visit that website, and what you'll find are individual specific rules education or just education in general about academic misconduct. So rather than just do this big sweeping website on academic misconduct, what we did is we developed materials specifically for the folks who are all part of this enterprise and who all help our student athletes. So we have rules education for athletic academic advisors. This might be some young folks who might be listening to the podcast, just got in the business, are wondering, gosh, you know, what should I do? We have some materials for them, materials for student athletes, including a YouTube video that they can see that talks about academic misconduct. We have materials for FARs. We have materials for coaches. And soon here, maybe in the next month or so, we're going to have materials for faculty. And the purpose of that is, is these are just one-page quick hits that the FAR can take maybe to the faculty senate meeting or any other type of meeting that they have with faculty that says, hey, here are things you should and should not do for student-athletes. And, and the big message is you should treat them just like anybody else. Don't do them a favor unless you do favors for other people in your class. And so you'll see there that we have several pieces of information. We have these one, we call them one-pagers in enforcement. Again, they're a quick hit. You can pass them out to student-athletes. You can pass them out to coaches. 
Then we have more detailed information. We have a booklet that talks about academic misconduct. And again, like I had mentioned, we have video we have a video for student athletes. All of this is free. You can use it as much as you want. There are um, high resolution uh, PDFs that you can print off and color and you can take Take it to uh, any meeting you have or any type of rules ed. We also have one for tutors, I should mention. I forgot that one. That's an important one. We have some rules education for tutors. So please feel free to use it. The other thing is, is I would like to have ask a, a request. If there's rules education that you don't see there that you would like us to do, if there's a group we're missing, whether it's supplemental instructors or learning specialists, please let us know. And we have custom-developed materials for them. Uh, we went to the FARA convention, Faculty Athletic Representative Association. We went to their conference meeting, our national convention meeting last year, and they said, you know what would really help us are one-pagers for faculty, because sometimes faculty, they just don't know what to do. And so we did that in response to a request from them. So please let us know if there's anything that we can do to help. We'd be delighted to do it. Okay, membership, that's a call to action. Let's make sure that there are questions out there, feedback that we can provide. Now you have the opportunity and the resource to be able to do so. And as someone who is focused on communication, I, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you guys are willing to do one-pagers, get on YouTube and create content where we know our students are actually going to look at it. Uh, so that instead of just having the traditional one place that many people would still consume information, such as the Internet, that you guys are willing to do the additional steps uh, it just shows us how much you're willing to help us in this process. Um, but with this coming right behind recruiting in terms of violations, maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the trends that you might be seeing right now in academic misconduct. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So for a while there, and I'm sure a lot of you in the business saw the violations in the news or in the press or on NCA.org, we had a um, a lot of academic misconduct violations involving 2-4 transfers. And so the scenario is you had a 2-4 transfer who was a non-qualifier, and almost all of these youngsters were missing math, uh, just couldn't pass the math class to be eligible to be a transfer student. And what was happening is we had coaches, and coaches get mad at me. They say I pick on them, but this is frankly just a fact, um, we had coaches who were enrolling these prospects in online math courses, paying for them, and completing them on behalf of these prospects. So it was a mess there for a minute regarding 2-4 transfers, but as I had said earlier, I think people start to realize, hey, the NCAA is on to us, and so violations tend to change. But one of the things we're starting to see now, unfortunately, is our tutors and athletic academic advising doing things that they shouldn't, um, doing papers, uh, doing classes, and the, the general theme are online courses. I'm sure if I were back in the membership, the thing that would keep me up at night, one of the many things that would keep me up at night would be online courses. And uh, we see a lot of tutors giving more help than they should with online courses. And so I think that that's probably going to be our next focus uh, with the AIU Academic Integrity Unit is to, to give our membership some advice with 
uh, online courses. And the, the key thing that we would say is if you can, make friends with your IT people because IT can tell you when a student logged on, where they logged on, what Wi-Fi they were on, what computer they were on. And it's not certainly no requirement that you spend time going over IP addresses and data, but if something should go wrong or you suspect something should go wrong, that's always the first place to start is to lock down what we call the metadata or the IP information so you can see exactly what happened. But that's kind of what we're seeing now. Our tutors working with students in online courses and doing more than they should for them. So especially with the, the membership that we're targeting here with this podcast today, what should someone working in athletic academic advising, coordinating, learning specialists, our tutors, what should someone do if he or she suspects academic misconduct? Yeah. So it's going to vary from school to school, frankly, because in academic misconduct, everything is dependent upon what the institution decides. What we want to do is give our student athletes the opportunity to have a fair process and go through whatever athletic or excuse me, whatever academic misconduct system you have on campus, whether it's the honor code or the honor board or the vice president for judicial affairs. Every school does it a little differently. So schools want to make sure that they process that young person through that organization or through that group consistent with institutional policy. I think the harder question is, what do you do if you suspect but you're not 100% sure? Uh, it's easy when you realize, oh, we have an academic misconduct issue, but what do you do when you're worried, when you see uh, maybe a student athlete cozying up too much to a tutor? And Every school is going to be different. What we would suggest is, is that everyone have some sort of policy or protocol that says, hey, here's what we should do if we suspect academic misconduct. I think it's really important for athletic academic advisors to pass this on to somebody else to investigate, and here's why. If you're going to narc on a student athlete, that's going to really harm your relationship with them, and it can cause a lot of trouble in the athletic academic advising center. So one of the things that some schools do is in the student athlete handbook, they will print or publish some sort of policy or procedure if academic misconduct is suspected in the athletic department. And that helps insulate athletic academic advisors a little bit. So if you have a student athlete who's angry at him or her and they say, what, what did you do that for? Why did you turn me in? You know, you don't care. You can point to the policy and say, I'm sorry, but I have to. and I'm required to. So that's something for schools to think about. Again, you're not required to do that under NCA rules. There's no requirement in Bylaw 14 that says you need to do that. This is more to just help athletic academic advising be proactive if something unfortunate should happen. And Kathy, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today. This is such an important topic for our membership, and obviously it's a heightened topic in today's day and age, especially with everything moving to online. Uh, so with everything you have going on in your day, I could say thank you a million times and it wouldn't be enough, but thank you so much for being on with us today. We really appreciate it. 
it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And if we can help in any way, please let us know. Definitely. Thank you so much.